Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Monday, a new week of American politics ahead of us. Um, before we jump into our first story though, I am so excited to introduce the new and first producer of the Luke Beasley Show, Ben Hatmaker. Thank you so much for being with us, Ben. Of course. What's up everybody? Glad to be here. Uh, so you'll hear him in the room from time to time doing his thing but then also engaging sometimes with the stories that are going on. Super exciting and uh, fun for me indeed. So let's go ahead and jump into our first story. Joe Biden has spoken out in support of the protests going on in Iran right now in response to the killing by law enforcement of uh, Masa Amini and good stuff that he's doing that. As a quick summary, if you are unfamiliar with this story, uh, there was a 22-year-old woman in Iran named Masa Amini and she got taken into custody by what they call the morality police for not wearing her hijab or the head covering um, and ended up getting beat so severely that she died. Now, of course, the Iranian uh, government denies these claims, but the evidence on the side of her getting beat, uh, witnesses observed this to the point of death is significant and heartbreaking. Um, and so we'll read about this and then again get to that moment from uh, uh, Joe Biden. And so this death of Masa Amini sparked a nationwide protest. Take a look. Protests rocking Iran over the death of a 22-year-old woman in police custody have spread to at least 50 cities, even as police arrest and kill demonstrators in a violent crackdown. Videos showing women burning their headscarves and crowds chanting death to the dictator amid burning cars are flooding social media despite the Iranian government's intermittent shutdown of the uh, country's internet. The uprisings were triggered by the death of Masa Amini, a Kurdish Iranian woman who was arrested for allegedly breaking Iran's strict rules on wearing the hijab, the Islamic head covering for women. She died while in police custody, reportedly suffering multiple blows to the head. Um, so just brutal stuff, but then a call for progress in the country of Iran because of this led largely by women, which is absolutely incredible. And here's that moment from Joe Biden. And I will thank you so much. Look, um, unfortunately, uh, the story Susan told is not unique. And it's, you know, many, many families that are going through this. But before I begin the point of my discussion today, I know I look over there and I see free Iran. And I want you to know, we stand with the citizens and brave women of Iran, for real, for real. And who right now are demonstrating to secure their very basic fundamental rights. Women and men should have the right, the right to freedom of expression and assembly. And women, women all over the world are being persecuted in various ways. But they should be able to wear in God's name what they want to wear. No one should be telling them what to wear. And Iran has to end the violence against its own citizens, simply exercising their fundamental rights. And, uh, you know, uh, Masha Amini's death uh, was... Uh, I, I've been in doing foreign policy a long, long time. It stunned me what it awakened in Iran. And it's awakened something that I don't, don't think will be quieted in a long, long time. And so I want to thank you all for speaking out want to thank the Persian community here. Uh, we'll stop it there, but totally agree with him. And it is important that in these types of situations, 
the United States president makes their opinion known because that's always um, relevant just internationally. And uh, it is significant what's happening there. Based on a lot of different kind of analysts I've seen, protests in the history of Iran and uh, about this particular regime and all that type of stuff, this is pretty historic and pretty significant. And we do support that effort because the regime right now in Iran uh, is is pretty severe, pretty brutal to their citizens. So last element of this that is pretty interesting, the European Union has sanctioned some people involved in the morality police as well as some other officials. Reading uh, from Al Jazeera, the European Union has imposed sanctions on Iran's morality police and information minister over their alleged roles in the security crackdown against anti-government protests that erupted after the death of a 22-year-old woman in government custody. Two leading morality police officials, uh, those individuals, are among 11 people whose assets were frozen by the 27-nation uh, bloc on Monday. They are also banned from traveling in Europe. The Iranian law enforcement forces and a number of local police chiefs were also targeted for their role in the brutal repression of the protests, said a statement released after EU foreign ministers endorsed the sanctions at a meeting in Luxembourg. So the EU also uh, condemning through these sanctions and taking action based on the brutal response from the Iranian government and their law enforcement to these protests, um, people making their voice known. So fascinating stuff and we'll continue to follow it. Carrie Lake appeared on CNN with Dana Bash over the weekend and a couple interesting moments to show you here. The first, they're both in relation to the anti-democratic stance that Carrie Lake has. And the first is just her getting confronted on the lies that she's told about the 2020 election. And I want you guys to know, because um, I've had some conversation with people like, should we just let it go? Should we stop talking about the 2020 election or stop talking about this particular, you know, uh, man in Donald Trump or the movement and the rat? No, this is the most important thing uh, within the political world right now, because everything else is threatened by this, right? You want to solve um, the broken healthcare system we have? You can't if our democracy is broken down. You want to solve uh, injustices we have? in our country, groups that aren't treated correctly, we can't if we don't have a proper democratic system to do that through. And so allowing them to hold these stances and go into this upcoming election, Carrie Lake specifically, planning to say, you'll see it pretty clear in one of these moments, that if she loses, the election uh, is stolen. This is real stuff and this is threatening everything that we have going on good within our democratic process. In America. But first, her getting confronted on her 2020 election lies. Move on to another uh, really important issue, particularly when it comes to your critical swing state of Arizona. And that is what happened in 2020. You called the 2020 election corrupt, stolen, rotten, and rigged. And there was no evidence of any of that presented in a court of law or anywhere else that any of those things are true. So why do you keep saying that? Well, there's plenty of evidence. We had 740,000 ballots with no chain of custody. Those ballots shouldn't have been counted. We had election laws. Where is the evidence in that? Dana, there's plenty of evidence. You can find it. I can, I can, I'm happy to send it to your team. The problem is the media won't cover it. And they're, We've it's, covered it's really this extensively, and, and what you just said has been debunked. Only one side of it, Dana. The real issue, Dana, is that the I love that. Yeah, one side of it, the, the factual side. We don't cover the lies side, correct? 
people don't trust our elections. They haven't since 2000. I'm a reporter. I've been sitting on your side of the desk for a long time. And since 2000, we have Americans who don't trust our elections. In 2000, in 2004, they didn't trust the elections. In 2016, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, and Hillary Clinton, everybody on the Democrat side said the Ms. election Lake. had problems. Ms. Lake, there definitely sorry, has been it, some of that, but I want to say in 2000, Al Gore conceded. In 2004, John Kerry receded, uh, conceded. In 2016, Hillary Clinton conceded, and we didn't see that. Yes, so uh, we'll stop this clip there, but that's the exact response that has to be given because we hear so often this whataboutism from certain Republicans who want to apologize for Trump's actions and say, hey, there's, pe there's Democrats in the past who had issues with the way that their election went or uh, raised questions or whatever it is and that makes it equal that makes it not bad what trump is doing and as uh, dana bash highlights wait, wait 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 you brought up 2000 and you brought up 2016 and then she also puts in 20 uh, 2004 in all these examples the democrat conceded they always talk about hillary clinton and still hasn't accepted trump's victory she came out on election night or the morning after uh, and said we need to accept Donald Trump as our president. So what are we talking about? There's no comparison here. Uh, the only way that this would be a proper comparison is if, let's take 2016 for example. Uh, Hillary Clinton comes out election night and says this election was stolen. I got more in the popular vote. The electoral college is rigged. And then got Barack Obama uh, to do everything possible to keep uh, Trump from getting in the White House and bring Hillary Clinton as the president. And then they did all these things. And even if it failed, they continued to tell people that, uh, no, the real person who's supposed to be in the White House is Hillary Clinton. And um, that would make it comparable. Is that what happened? No. And it's so aggravating when they do that. And so you have to not even give it any air. And then here's Carrie Lake getting asked if she will concede if she loses or what she'll do if she loses the election and she refuses to give a clear answer consistently on the campaign trail let's look forward then Can we talk will you about accept the, the results of the election in your election will you accept Can the results talk about the issues i came on here thinking we were going to talk about the issues facing arizonans right now we did and you've spent the entirety of this time talking about 2020 i think you're stuck on 2020 i, I really do i would i have interviewed I just so you know carrie lake has made it a center point of her campaign that uh, the, the election was stolen from Trump. So pretending like it's wrong for the interviewer to challenge you on that is completely silly. Many, many Republicans, and haven't even mentioned it, I only did with you because this is a big thing that you are running on. Let's look ahead. Dana, and let's, Dana, let's talk I'm about Dana. the 2022 election. Will you accept the results of your election, Ms. Lake? I'm, I'm running against a twice convicted racist who cost the state tax. <laughs> so that's not what the question was. And you'll see after she's done with her rant over here, uh, Dana Dash continues. Like My question is, will you accept the results of your election in November? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result. If you lose, will you accept that? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result because the people will never, the people of Arizona will never support and vote for a coward like Katie Hobbs who won't show up on so a debate. There it is. It's funny because a little bit of a caricature, I'm going to accept the result because I'm going to win. I'm going to accept it. But it's not funny because she's just saying, 
I'm perfectly willing to spit on our democratic process and the legitimacy of the results by saying that just like what Trump did, if you remember that bizarre David Wallace interview uh, he did before the election where he just would not say that he'd concede, um, I don't know yet is what he kept saying. And Kerry Lake's doing a similar thing. And this is why it was so correct for Democrats and reasonable people of any ideological uh, walk of life to call out in 2020 and shortly after the election and all of the ruckus that was going on then, how this is representative of a larger threat that is posed and something that we will see manifest itself later. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a very Trumpy-like candidate in Kerry Lake not respect the process that we have in place. That is the only way we keep peaceful transitions from one person in power to another in all these different places. And so it's very, very scary to see that she's uh, setting up this very dangerous situation. Herschel Walker had his debate with Raphael Warnock, long awaited for, and as expected, there were some quite goofy, goofy moments. <laughs> We got producer Ben over there oh, giggling. Um, I will say, he was a mess. Herschel Walker, that is. Raphael Warnock was pretty solid. But I, I think if you're on the Herschel Walker campaign, you're probably okay with how it went, if that makes sense. Based on the other brutal interviews he's done where he's just completely incapable of uh, getting any thought out. This was still bad, but not complete, you know, campaign sinker, even though his campaign should already have been sunk a long time ago, but that is not American politics these days. So we're going to go through a few moments here. The first is him saying that we got to get people off of government health care. He's not for all that uh, free health care business because he wants you to be independent and get to have the health care that Raphael Warnock has. But Raphael Warnock is a senator, so Raphael Warnock has government health care odd connection of thoughts there from Sir Walker. Because if you have an able-bodied job, you're going to have health care. But everyone else have health care is the type of health care you're going to get. And I think that doesn't make any sense. It's not you didn't mishear him. That was just that is the yeah. problem. And what Senator Warnock want you to do is depend on the government. What I want you to do is get off the government health care and get on the health care he's got to get you a better health care. So that's what I'm trying to do, to make you independent rather than dependent. Uh, get you on his health care, the government health care. I agree, I'm with you. I think you're not with you, but I'm with you. Uh, the next moment here was also quite strange. Um, Raphael Warnock calls him out for lying about his record in law enforcement. And by lying about his record in law enforcement, I mean lying that he had a record in law enforcement, mm, uh, that he had a history in it all. Yeah, same. And so if you missed this, Herschel Walker claimed he was an FBI agent and then it got debunked. That wasn't a thing that happened. And so now he tries to flip it around and says, well, I work with many police officers. And you'll hear him say, watch out for this line in this next moment. Quote, I am work with many police officers. Okay. Um, yes. Agreed. <laughs> Take a look. I have supported our police officers. I've called them and I've prayed with their families, like those officers lost in Cobb County when they were killed, doing what police officers routinely do. You can support police officers as I've done, 
through the COPS program, through the Invest to Protect program, while at the same time holding police officers, like all professions, accountable. One thing I have not done, I've never pretended to be a police officer, <laughs> and, and, and I've, never, I've never threatened a shootout with the police. Well, and now I have to respond to we that. Are, we are, we are no, moving no, 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 on, no. gentlemen. I have to respond to that. And you know what's so funny? I am work with many police officers, <laughs> and at the same time, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, no, 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 Mr. Walker, no, no. Mr. Walker, excuse me, truth, Mr. Walker. So, yes, American politics is a joke. What was that? You hear the crowd just as if we're at a comedy bit, you know, of a comedy show. And uh, I am work with many police officers, meaning you aren't someone who served as an FBI agent. So you were agreeing, no matter how many badges you hold up, that you, uh, you know, <laughs> that you got from a gift shop in the airport, um, you're still lying about this for no conceivable reason. That's such a weird thing to lie about. I never get that type of thing. I mean, okay. How do you even take this man serious? I know. And genuinely, he still has a chance of winning. That's it's so sad. It is very sad. Uh, next moment, he has one of the most out-of-touch answers to the conversation around lowering insulin costs. So... If you're not directly impacted by this, I'll let you know that insulin has gone through the roof and how expensive it is, and it is way more expensive in the United States than all these other countries um, because of a bunch of broken aspects to our system. And so Raphael Warnock, as well as the Biden administration, are a part of an attempt to help people in that. And one of the things they did in the Inflation Reduction Act was capped uh, the cost of insulin for Medicare recipients. They wanted to do it for everyone, but Republicans blocked it. So they did get it for just Medicare recipients. And Raphael Warnock is talking about how he supports that and says, listen, Herschel Walker has admitted he wouldn't have voted for this legislation. And Herschel Walker says, yeah, insulin, eh. You know what the real issue is at hand? Y'all should just be eating better. Now, I think we need to promote healthy diets. That's awesome. That doesn't have anything, not anything to do. That does not answer the question of how do we help people who have to, as a necessity, get insulin um, and are being absolutely price gouged. So really odd and disconnected response here from Herschel Walker. Uncaps the cost of insulin. He said he would not have voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. And I think he should tell the people of Georgia why he thinks they should have expensive insulin and why the pharmaceutical companies should be able to charge us whatever they like. Well, first of all, may I respond? You know, I believe in reducing insulin, but- I don't care if you believe in it. I care if you'll do something, okay, if you would support legislation that would actually reduce it. But at the same time, you gotta eat right because he may not know, and I know many people that's on insulin, and unless you have a eating right, insulin is doing you no good. So you have to get food prices down, and you gotta get gas down so they can go get insulin, and you continue to pat yourself on the back, but right now, families are starving. Right now, family. So then he tries to bring it back to something that would make him look um, better than that. Very, very odd. Okay, so that was the debate that happened on Friday. And then um, later, they were going to have a second debate. Herschel Walker didn't show up to it. And I loved how this moderator introduced the fact that Herschel Walker wouldn't be at this debate. Early election debate among candidates for the U.S. Senate. Let's meet the candidates for this debate. They are in alphabetical order. Chase Oliver, a libertarian, he's a businessman. 
Herschel Walker, a Republican, is a businessman and former professional athlete. Mr. Walker has declined to participate and is represented by an empty podium. Raphael Warnock, a Democrat, is the incumbent senator from Georgia. Now, let's so, uh, yeah, there we go. And I do think from a strategic point of view, you want to prevent Herschel Walker from being in front of cameras as much as possible. So I see why they did that. Uh, but then during this debate that Herschel Walker wasn't at, Raphael Warnock was calling out his lies in this moment. Because I work for Georgia and I'm not going to be distracted about what Herschel Walker says about me. He doesn't tell the truth about himself. He said that he graduated from college, he didn't. He said he was valedictorian of his class, he wasn't. He said he started a business that doesn't even exist. And the other night when I said you, he pretended to be a police officer, he presented a badge God. as if that were proof that he really is a police officer. And now he wants us to think that he- But he wasn't even saying it was proof that he's a police officer. He was saying it was proof that I am work with police officers. As a senator. I think the people of Georgia are wise and discerning, and they know that at the end of the day, I know who I work for. I work for them. Uh, absolutely. And then the last little bit of Herschel Walker news to cram into this segment. Um, he admitted that the check provided by the ex-girlfriend of his, um, revealing that he paid for her abortion, um, was his check, and it was sent to her, but it wasn't for the abortion. Do you right, know what see, this $700 check is I have is no for? idea what that can be for. Is that your signature I, on the oh, check, though? It could be. It doesn't matter whether it's my signature or not. You know how I many checks I've written to That's them bleeping out the ex-girlfriend's name. It doesn't matter if it's my check or not. It doesn't matter if you have proof or not. I'm still going to say it's not true. Come on. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's my check. But I've written, how many checks have I written to the, and, you know, and she didn't have a job then. Yeah. Did she have a job at that time? Do you right, know what this I'm gonna be honest. I like to think of myself as above the average line of intelligence. I try. I want to hold that belief, but when I was preparing for today's show, I really lost a lot of respect in myself because it took me so long to realize they were bleeping out the name of the ex-girlfriend, and I was like, "Why are they both swearing?" Like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've written so many checks to beep. <laughs> what? Yeah, what is that? I definitely thought he was cussing until you pointed it out. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I pointed it out. Because I was like, dang, they're dropping the F-bomb or something mid-interview. Okay, Herschel Walker. Um, so maybe crazy stuff. There it is, Herschel Walker uh, doing what he does. Steve Bannon is in a lot of trouble, we'll say. Um, and it looks like he could end up getting sentenced, or at least prosecutors are going to try to pursue a six-month sentence for contempt of Congress. So to give you the background on this, uh, the January 6th committee wanted to talk to him because he clearly has information on both the election overturning effort as well as the January 6th actions specifically. So before we look at the article talking about this recent legal development uh, in his world, we'll look at a little bit of kind of what got him into the interest of the January 6th committee that then asked him to testify. He refused and got charged with contempt of Congress. So first, before the election, before the election, in this audio uh, clip I'm going to show you, he was clearly laying out exactly what Trump would eventually go on to do, um, which just shows there was this awareness around people who knew Trump or are familiar with him. Trump allies, of course, Steve Bannon was a advisor to him 
um, for a while there. They knew exactly what he was going to do. It had nothing to do with looking at the election and saying, this looks like there could be some fraud, and that's why I'm going to say this. It was, I think I might lose, and I can't handle that. Uh, and so I'm going to do all these things as Steve Bannon breaks down here. And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. The Democrats, more of our people vote early that count. Theirs vote in mail. And so they're going to have a natural disadvantage, and Trump's going to take advantage of it. That's our strategy. He's going to declare himself a winner. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, it's going to be a firestorm. You're going to have Antifa crazy, the media crazy, the courts are crazy, and Trump's going to be sitting there mocking, tweeting shit out. You lose. <laughs> I'm the winner. I'm the king. And he'll be all over, he'll be, he'll be going, where's Hunter? Is Hunter on a crack pipe? I mean, no, he'll be, because then it doesn't matter. Remember, here's the thing. After then, Trump never has to go to a voter again. He's going to fire Ray, the FBI director, and fire the scene. and say, fuck you, how about that? Because he's never going to, he's, he's done his last election. Oh, he's going to be off the chain. He's going to be crazy. Also, also if, Trump is, if Trump is losing by 10 or 11 o'clock at night, it's going to be even crazier. Um, there it is. Ally of Trump laying out before it happened exactly what would end up happening and uh, revealing this kind of premeditated nature to it. And we saw this too in uh, the most recent January 6th hearing where they go through and break down all of these testimonies from people revealing that Trump before the election, as early as the July before, was telling people that he was going to claim victory regardless of the results. So how you could still hold this belief that he's just this um, victim of a horrible election fraud situation is bizarre. The second moment that really caught the, uh, the interest of the January 6th committee was um, him coming on his podcast, Steve Bannon, and saying January 6th, this is on January 5th, he's saying the next day is going to be Wild, all hell is going to break loose. Take a look. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's all converging, and now we're on, as they say, the point of attack, right? The point of attack. The point of attack. Tomorrow. I'll tell you this. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen, okay? It's going to be... He's such a creepy guy. ...quite <laughs> extraordinarily different. And all I can say is strap in. You have made this happen, and tomorrow it's game day. So strap in. Let's get ready. So there it is, and the January 6th committee said, wow, you even publicly really like to talk about how much you uh, um, were involved in this or at least had knowledge of all of this, so come share it with us. And he said no, got charged with contempt of Congress, and now the news that is breaking from CNN. Federal prosecutors want Steve Bannon, a former top advisor, uh, former President Donald Trump, to be sentenced to six months in prison for contempt of Congress, according to a recommendation filed Monday. In addition to serving time, the government is seeking $200, $200,000 in fines. For sustained bad faith contempt of Congress, the defendant should be sentenced to six months imprisonment, the top end of the sentencing guidelines range, and fined $200,000 based on his insistence on paying the maximum fine rather than cooperate with the probation office's routine pre-sentencing financial investigation, prosecutors wrote in their court filing Monday. So they will be seeking that top end uh, figure as far as sentencing guidelines go, which is definitely interesting. And Steve Bannon is one of the people 
who should be getting held accountable and looked into for his actions because clearly um, he had some involvement in all of this and why else would he completely avoid going and giving the truth to the January 6th committee? It's very odd to me, even in a situation where you're allowed to go and plead the fifth, uh, where he would completely not go just in my mind to make a political show of getting arrested. Um, because we've found with a lot of these very radical right-wing individuals, their favorite thing in the world is telling an audience of people that they are the victim. That's what Donald Trump's whole thing was. It's not that I lost the election and maybe I'm just not as popular in the country as I thought I was. It's I'm the biggest victim in American history and the biggest fraud happened um, in all of the world. And that's the belief that a lot of his followers like to hold, that Trump's the biggest victim ever, not a whiny crybaby. And um, same thing here with Steve Bannon, where he created this whole unnecessary public show of him getting um, arrested and now prosecuted because... Uh, he likes that narrative surrounding him. And these are very, very dangerous individuals spreading very dangerous ideologies. And uh, we'll see what comes out of it. Marjorie Taylor Greene had her debate with Mark Flowers, uh, Marcus Flowers, excuse me. And uh, it was interesting, very interesting. Marjorie Taylor Greene did all of her normal shenanigans. And there were some good moments from Marcus Greene where he kind of revealed her for who she was. Uh, who, and who she is but if you're someone who loves her I don't think this is gonna do anything for you unfortunately but we'll look at some interesting moments nevertheless this first one take a look and yes our law enforcement officials and every one of them that I've talked to almost to a person has said Marjorie Taylor Greene is not who they want representing them so yes this campaign is about Marcus Flowers <clears throat> not not MTG Thank you. Joshua, I, it's your I, turn get a to... I need a rebuttal to that. I... So he, he had brought up that she um, was supportive towards the insurrectionists on January 6th. And so then this is her very performative outrage uh, moment. You cannot accuse me of insurrection. I How was a you, victim sir? of the January 6th riot just as much as any other member of Congress. That was the third day I had on the job. I had nothing to do with what happened there that day. And I will not have you accuse me of that. That is wrong of you to do. You're lying about me and you will not defame my character in that manner. Did Joe Biden win the election, Congresswoman Green? Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Absolutely, Marcus. but you pushed a big lie that said he did not win the election. There was and election fraud. You drove those proven. people to there the Capitol on January 6th with your lie. Election. We're going to move on. Josh Rowe, it's election your turn fraud. to. Um, so I like how he did that because she tries to do this kind of bait and switch where, oh, no, even though everything he said about your beliefs in regard to all of this is true, I'm going to pretend that the real matter at hand is I am offended that you tried to associate me with those people. But later in the debate, she goes on talking about how the fact that these insurrectionists are being, she wouldn't use this language, but held accountable legally is an example of our two-tier justice system. Wait, so, no, you do, you do even want to be associated with these insurrectionists. Truly bizarre. So instead, he highlights, well, listen, the lie that brought them there was that Biden was not legitimately elected and it was stolen from Trump. So say right now on the stage, is that what you believe? And of course, uh, it is what she believes. Next moment, she gets on this bizarre tirade about what she thinks the Democratic Party stands for. And uh, 
see how this how this hits you. I mean, she just looks like a clown in this one. That's true. Bad. Agreed. Marcus, you're a father and you are a representative of the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party is the party of child abuse. It's the party that represents grooming children and sexualizing them in school, teaching anti-white racism in the terms of CRT education and genital mutilation of kids, kids that can't even get a driver's license, can't get a tattoo and cannot vote. How do you stand there and represent the Democrat Party as a father? And do you believe in genital mutilation of children under the age of 18? And, and these puberty blockers that have severe health consequences. Time for your Because I have re I've introduced a bill to ban it and make it a felony to, genital to mutilate children's genitals. Do you stand by that? Boy, that, that was a lot. And God bless you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. If you truly believe that, that I'm praying for you. You know, I believe in this country. I believe in our democracy. And I believe in standing up for human rights. People come up to me every day and tell me, how they feel attacked by you. And yes, I'm talking about children in our LGBTQ plus community. Every day, Congresswoman Green, seniors, Latinos, blacks, men and women, every day. This is how she treats the people of Northwest Georgia and the people, people of America, attacks, constantly attacking. That's not representative, Green. You represent them. I do. So, um Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know, this is what scares me. If you believed that, what she listed off, then you would feel probably justified in doing some horrible things to people who you associate with the Democratic Party. Like that's scary language to be using because it's so dishonest and so provocative. Mm. Um, and we see what happens when people of that political movement get provoked. So. Also, it highlights for me why I don't even waste time talking with people on the far right about trans issues because that is their perception of them. Well, I can't engage with that. You have no you know, connection to what these topics are really, the nuance and the uh, specifics of these topics and the discussions that people are having. So I don't even wanna hear it. I can't even engage with that in any world that is reasonable. Um, wow, and that's why I like that he didn't really, he just went, okay, if you really believe that, I'm praying for you. Finally, uh, each candidate sorry now. about that, uh, their closing statements. We'll have 60 seconds for that closing statement and Marcus Flowers, you will get uh, the chance to have the first closing statement here. Thank you, Mr. Greer. As, as was suggested earlier, I am running as Marcus Flowers, not, not Marjorie Taylor Greene. Listen, I'm the son of a teacher, the grandson of a sheriff. I'm a veteran. I'm a father. I'm a member of this community. I've traveled this district for the last two years, and I've talked to people from every walk of life in every corner of our district. And what I hear from them is they want a representative who will work for them. This isn't about Republicans or Democrats. Ladies and gentlemen, this is about right and wrong. This is about chaos versus stability. This is about us. I want you to go in starting tomorrow and vote for right or wrong. Georgia, we have to decide what we want in our seat. Do we want a show horse or do we want a workhorse who's gonna get things done for us? God bless you and thank you.
Marjorie Taylor Greene, you get the final closing statement. Well, you just heard from my Democrat opponent that usually wears a cowboy hat, but doesn't ride a horse and doesn't own any cattle. Honestly, I, it, she is just from a comedy TV show of, imagine if politics became just a big, funny, you know, show all the time. And you had Looney Tunes characters like Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is, she's just, an, as an SNL skit or a comedy bit in a TV show. Yeah, she would be and, the main character. Yeah, it trips me out. Fake cowboys, you know, you can, might be an extra on Yellowstone when you get done yeah, with this career. That's a good question. Northwest Georgia, Georgia's 14th district, I want to thank you first and foremost for voting for me and putting... All right, that's all we're giving to Marjorie. <laughs> uh, there it is. Bizarre, bizarre stuff. Lauren Boebert seems to maybe be in some tough political waters in the next few weeks leading up to the midterms because not only has a couple polls come out recently or have a couple polls come out showing that it's a tight race it's a toss-up between her and her democratic challenger but also the uh candidate who ran against her in the primary so a republican is endorsing her democratic opponent which is not common in american politics usually um even if you challenge someone in a primary, you endorse them in the general because they're of your party. The most severe that is common is they just don't endorse either. But to come out and support the opposite party's candidate is definitely an interesting and big move. And in this close of a race, you want everything that you can get. Um, so here's a little bit about that. When a political candidate wins their primary election, it's usually traditional for their rivals from the same party to give their support begrudgingly or not to the winner. Not so in Colorado's 3rd District. Incumbent U.S. House Representative Lauren Boebert won her primary in June. She beat rival GOP candidate uh, State Senator Don Corum. But after she quashed his U.S. House dreams, Corum says he's now throwing his support behind Boebert's Democratic opponent, uh, opponent, Adam Frisch. The fact that he ran against her would suggest that Corum was already not a fan of Boebert. However, for a sitting GOP lawmaker to throw their support behind a Democratic candidate is unusual, to say the least. Quote, I have had the opportunity to visit with him and get to know him better over the last few months. And this is the uh, GOP individual. I know him to be decent, honest, and persistent. He has all uh, demonstrated that he is more interested in representing the district than becoming or being a celebrity. That's important. Let's elect someone who cares about representing the majority of people in the middle that are fed up with extreme partisanship and juvenile antics, um, which I agree with that statement about her, uh, juvenile antics being associated with. Lauren Boebert, and we are hoping that she'll lose. I think it would send a good message to the more extreme radical candidates that are coming up and wanting to run that maybe that's not the right thing for them. <laughs> maybe uh, American politics is shifting back towards reason. I don't think that's the case, but we, we can hope. And then here's a recent poll that also looks pretty good for Adam Frisch. Boebert received support from 47% of likely voters while Democrat Adam Frisch landed at 45%, making the race a statistical tie within the 4.4 percentage point margin of error. 7% of voters are undecided per the poll. So a statistical tie, a toss up, and a very, very close race there. It would be great to see Lauren Boebert, one of the most radical people in Congress. She's up there with Marjorie Taylor Greene in the um, brain leaking out of the ears type politics mm -hmm. and understanding of all these issues. And so, as I said, if 
these types of candidates keep becoming successful, we're going to see more of them. They're going to continue to be common. If they get trounced or if they get upset in this situation, for example, maybe that's an indication that America is not on board for the long term with this type of ideology. Again, is that the case? We'll see. That's why the midterms are so crucial. But uh, it would be wonderful to see Lauren Boebert lose in November. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. Thank you, Ben, for being here. Of course, anytime. Y'all have a good one. You will see much more of him. Uh, and I'll see all of you tomorrow.